Vodka. 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 Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to Vodka Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget that the website is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode, however, is not explicit. You are about to hear two interviews recorded at DexCon, one of the massive gaming conventions in New Jersey. Uh, these conversations are mostly about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, there's the fifth edition that's just uh, launching. And uh, my friend Joe and I also got into a whole bunch of other nerdy topics. We talked quite a bit about Star Wars and Star Trek and the charity work that we do because he's part of the 501st and he helps me out. He's part of the, the group of volunteers that comes out to Superhero Weekend at Comic Fusion. So uh, we nerded about uh, all kinds of things and it was a really fun conversation. And so after I talked to Joe, I talked to Dave, who's um, one of the important people with the Dungeons and Dragons Greyhawk Reborn launch. So um, I want you to check that out. It's got some good information about beginners and, you know, that you shouldn't be afraid to get started at any time because D&D is just fun to do. Um, so I wanted to tell you that I had a, a magnificent time at DexCon because I always do. It's such a chill show. It's laid back. It's in this beautiful hotel. And e even though it's over, the company that runs it is called Double Exposure. They run several other conventions throughout the year. So I urge you to go back through the Vodka O'Clock episodes and listen to the wonderful interview that I had with Avanel Wing. She's the vice president. And she had some really important things to say about uh, diversity and in including people and other populations that might be marginalized in the gaming community. So I just think that Avenel's voice is really important to hear the messages that she had to say about, uh, you know, making gaming a safe subculture for everybody. And then hopefully you will be as impressed as I was and uh, get out to one of their other shows like Metatopia or Dreamation. Dreamation is a massive show. And, um, you know, these are held right in Morristown, New Jersey. So it's a quaint little town, um, plenty of walking, plenty of like food, eatery things and whatnot. And uh, the hotel... I, I kid you not, it's free parking inside the hotel garage. All you have to do is get your parking ticket thing, take it up to the counter when you're on your way out, and they'll validate the ticket for you. So I did a couple of recap uh, write-ups on the blog, so check out amberunmasked.com, because it includes how much I loved the burlesque show, the D20 burlesque. That's a great troupe. They were so, like, there was funny stuff. There was dramatic stuff. They just really had their acts together. They were great. So any chance that you get to see D20 Burlesque, go see them. So now let's get on with our D&D and other nerdy topics. I'm uh, Joe Roa. Um, here playing at DexCon, um, playing Greyhawk Reborn, which is the fifth edition of D&D. They, they revived the uh, Greyhawk campaign. So, uh, we're playtesting it basically now. The official edition doesn't come out until July or August at Gen Con. Okay. Um, so I usually run into you at like 501st and, and other cosplay type yep. events and stuff. Wonder Woman Day. Wonder Woman Day. So um, here we bump into each other at DexCon, which is uh, different. And I recognized you even outside of the outfit. Yep, no TIE Fighter pilot helmet on or Jedi uh, rope. Yeah. Um, 
So when are you here alone, or do you have like a regular crew of people that you game with? Actually, uh, it's a regular crew. Uh, we started playing about a month and a half ago with this Greyhawk uh, edition at the Wild Pig Comic in Kenilworth, mm -hmm. which is cool because it's like four blocks from my house, so that's awesome. Yeah, Wild Pig's great. Yeah, so uh, we started playing over there, and then uh, some of it's a continuation. Uh, actually, that'll be on Saturday. That's our big continuation of that campaign, but then uh, I've gotten to know a bunch of the guys over here, so we've kind of just grouped together and have some fun. Okay, so are you the DM? No, not oh. creative enough for that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's. Uh, what's cool about about the DM uh, process is that they have to come up with these campaigns and everything. Uh, why would that? Why would that intimidate you? Uh, why would that? That's a good question. Uh, I'm more a logical thinker, so coming up with creative stuff outside of the box usually doesn't uh, come easily to me. So it's easier for me to just take somebody else's campaign and get kind of lost in that. So, so when you um, advance to this edition, are you keeping a character that you already have, or is like everything a brand new? Well, since thing? this is a brand new campaign, I have a brand new character. But from this point forward, I can take this character, or I'm actually playing two at the moment. But uh, yeah, okay. I can take either one. They advance in level, kind of like if any of the buddy plays an MMO. Uh, it's the same type of thing. They advance in level, and then I can take it anywhere in the United States or the world, technically, and play that character at any event that's, you know, Greyhawk, or it can even be converted to regular 5th edition D&D. &D. Okay, I didn't realize that you could do that with characters. Yes. Okay, so where is that database track? Uh, well, um... Wizards of the Coast, who run D&D, uh -huh. they, they give you like a number, okay. and it's assigned to that, and then you get at the end, end of each uh, adventure, you get a little piece of paper, which is basically a certification, and you completed, you know, this event, and how many experience points you get, how many gold, and then uh, most, if you look around, most people have like a huge binder, yeah. depending on how long they've been playing, and uh, you know, you keep an adventure of, uh, all, track of all the adventures you've been on. Okay. Um, so, how high up can a character become? I think with 5th edition it's level 20. Alright. And... Um, but that takes a lot of XP. <laughs> okay. And how does this differ from your previous editions then? Uh, the four, uh, it's basically the same concept. That they're just changing the rules around a little bit. The way the mechanics work and stuff like that. So, it's, it's basically this, the, the, the leveling part of it is, is the same premise. It's just more the mechanics are changing. The, the, what happened is a lot of people became bored with 4th edition because mm -hmm. I've played with tables where it's like if you have 6 or 7 guys at the table it feels like it's 45 minutes between your turns so you can take right. a nap, read the Wall Street Journal <laughs> yeah. War and, Peace, and then oh it's time for me to go again and then you roll your dice and then it's another 45 minutes they're trying to speed it up a little bit more and bring the role playing back more in, uh, back into it so when you're at a table with that many people because um, I've done that on like, uh, Free RPG Day and luckily, because it was meant to be a demo, it was pretty fast. Like, right. I think it only took us an hour or two. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was in intentionally designed that way. So when you're doing something, it seems like these can get really elaborate. You're talking about continuing over the weekend. Right. Um, are you guys playing as a team? Like, are you on the quest together, or are you um, cutthroat? about it. No, it's cooperative, so okay. you're on a team together. I mean, I have been hit by a fireball from my own wizard in several <laughs> adventures. Not Wait, by your so own? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I played with one group that this guy insisted on fireballing his party every adventure we went through, <laughs> even though we repeatedly told him, could you please stop that? But no, he just kept going. 
But normally, yes, it's cooperative. Okay. So. All right. And, um, and okay, and this is like an offbeat question just because it was something I was talking to Avanel about when I interviewed her uh, for the, the, the pre-Dexcon hour of Vodka O'Clock. Um, I, we were trying to figure out what the like male to female ratio might be here and because um, I thought it was not too bad but maybe just because I'm in a and d room right now there's like no chicks except for me uh, there's a couple actually um, they're not here obviously. they're just not here yeah, I mean it's still every, pretty empty this is day one so. yeah and uh, everybody's on break now oh okay basically uh, all the events are wrapped up it's supposed to start again at about 8 o'clock but um, yeah I've played a par- uh, tables where I've had you know 50 50-50 uh, yeah. Dexcon seems to be uh, more not the norm where there's a higher percentage of females. I don't know if it's because of the LARP or, or the board gaming or what. Yeah, it is, it's always seemed pretty even here. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's great, but okay. Because um, one of the things that I had read was that on um, it usually ends up being I don't know if it's just online, but that they're just not treated well in the gaming community and. Um, and one and one of the things that I emphasized to Abby when I was talking to her was how just relaxed and casual and welcoming these shows are because they do Dexcon and they do Dreamation. Right. Um, so uh, it just seemed uh, it seemed okay and it seemed like there's people of all, you know teenagers running around. Yeah, it's pr- it's, a pr- it's a pretty wide casual. variety. I mean, you got people you know you got obviously single guys. You got teenagers. You, you yeah. got families running around with smaller children. Yeah. And stuff like that. So yeah, this this one and uh, I've been to PAX East a bunch of times. So those seem to be the two most um, friendly and in co- not cooperative, but like uh, incorporating uh, conventions I've been to. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, Gen Con sounds really huge, but I've never been there. I haven't been there either. Actually, James is going there. He invited is he? me. Yeah. Him, uh, you know Johnny Rocks? Of course. Okay, yeah. We are talking about our 501st brethren. I'm not, like, technically honorary, but I just tag along like a little droid behind uh, you're them. You're pretty much one I'm of us kind of <laughs> I'm kind of there. I'm the droid in spandex. <laughs> that is the deal. Um, which James has done, like, when, when we did the, uh, the one... Um, groundbreaking ceremony for the playgrounds. I think that's when everybody had capes on the stormtroopers. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. So, actually, I'm looking forward to uh, superhero uh, Wonder Woman weekend uh, yeah, this yes. year because I'll be doing my 501st costume on Saturday, but I'll actually be doing a, a villain costume on Sunday. So We have, yeah, for anybody who, who listens to this, we're thinking of doing some more villains for superhero weekend. Um We've had some. It's not like we're anti-villain. And yeah. it's always funny because, like, the 501st are, you know, like, we don't call them bad guys. We just say it that. It depends on your point of view. It's your point of view. Um, they're the man. They're basically the man. But uh, let's see. We we usually end up with different X-Men and different Justice League. We're usually pretty DC-heavy. Uh, I don't know. But we've had the Riddler. Yes. Because Matt was a really great Riddler. And, um... We had Lex Luthor, which, um... We did. Um, his name escapes. Jesse. Jesse. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, so if anybody's interested in becoming a villain for Superhero Weekend, it's the first weekend of October, and that's our big charity event at Comic Fusion. So Which you do a great job at, between you and Stacy and the, the whole store. You guys do a fantastic job. And yeah. It's, it's for a great cause also, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So we, um, we're going to start really buckling down those plans uh, by next month, which is August. So uh, the, with, with the convention being October and everything. So we always, I, I try to get the date as early as possible just so I can book the Star Wars guys. <laughs> because I know October is crazy with the charity events. Yeah, it, it's, it's been nuts this year even more so. Even in the summer we seem to be getting a lot more requests. I guess we're getting popular and there's this whole like library click. I guess they yes. talk to one another. So we know uh, once one person hears about us, they tell their friends. And I guess they have like little librarian meetings or something like that or librarian conventions. Yes. And they start talking about us. And it's like, I'm, uh, unfortunately, we've had to turn down some requests this year because we've been so booked up. It's like unbelievable. That's cool, though. Yeah, I mean, no, it's good. I mean. And the kids like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. So you can't they go, really. They go crazy. <laughs> which to me is really strange because I, I had thought that kids were really afraid of anybody with their face covered. It, it but it's so familiar, I think, that yeah. I think it it's kind of overrides the fact that they can't see a, a stormtrooper or a pilot. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess they get excited seeing Darth Vader or a stormtrooper mm -hmm. or, or a TIE fighter or whatever, you know, biker scout or whatever. I mean, um, and I, I think with the new movies coming out, it's only going to further, you know, put... They won't, they'll be more familiar with it. A new generation. Yeah, a new generation, basically. Uh, you kind of saw it with the Clone Wars cartoon, right. which, they, which they stopped doing. Cause a lot of kids now ask for Captain Rex and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, with the new movies coming out, like every two years they're pumping them out or something like that, yeah, I think that would be a whole new generation that will open up to it. So it should be cool. Do you have opinions on the new movies? No, I've been trying to stay spoiler-free. Okay. Uh, I like what J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek for the most part. Uh, yeah, me too. I liked most of it. Yeah. So I mean, it, it was okay. I found the last one a little bit hard to follow, but... So, but, um... But I yeah. liked, I liked the Spock, um, version, basically the, the you know, sort of changes, like, that he made to uh, Spock. That's funny. That's one of the things I didn't like. Really? Yeah, I'm such an uh, original series guy. I me like, too. Um, I mean, I like original, but I never yeah. really got into any of the other shows. Yeah, I, I actually started catching up on the, the next generation on Netflix, which I do enjoy, but uh, I've been lagging behind. But, uh, yeah, definitely an original uh, series guy, and, yeah, the whole Spock horror thing, I was like, I didn't really know how to take that, but... Eh. Yeah, well, it took, because I think the first time I sat through the original series, I misunderstood the Vulcans, um, and I was under the impression that they just didn't have feelings, right. not that they were suppressing them, because I just, I think I probably didn't pay attention to that Ponfar episode somehow, um, but... Then once I, you know, later on got a better understanding of it, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a, a deeper character development. That's true. Well, and then with Spock, obviously, yeah, he's half human, half uh, Vulcan, so there's that conflict within him, so. True. Do you do Spock? I don't know. You do, because yeah, you had a blue shirt. Yes, I have a blue shirt. It's more medical. Actually, uh, I need to get another one, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have the pointy ears. You know, I was thinking of wearing my ears tomorrow. That'd be cool. I have to go to a barbecue. That'd be awesome. <laughs> first, I have to show up to a barbecue first, <laughs> and I'm I, and I'd have to put the ears on at home just to make sure that they were on right. Nice. 
and hope they don't sweat off. Because um, it's pretty disgusting for those of you listening. If you're not familiar with the East Coast right now, it's about a thousand degrees and humid. Yeah, it's cooler on the surface of Mars at this point. I think, I think it is, you know, and it was great seeing uh, the rover Curiosity making jokes about Independence Day. Um, you gotta please follow Sarcastic Rover. It's the greatest Twitter feed ever. Um, and you can go at, go to the barbecue and say, "Do these ears make my head look big?" Yeah, I, exactly. Um, I could I could say that I time traveled to the barbecue because apparently it's also on at a, at a new house where the road doesn't technically exist yet. Oh, nice! So I'm gonna have fun trying to find that. Yeah, that, that should be curious. I, I'd be even funnier if you couldn't really find it and you had to. Stop and I had and to and stop and ask directions. Oops, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to wear with the ears. I'll work on that. Or, or you could do like the Spock and put the uh, 80s sweatband over it first, <laughs> for, for, for first <laughs> in case you run into Hold them in, yeah. yeah. So, um, do you dress up for Halloween at all? Or is it just like, actually, forget it, I've dressed I, up all year. So. Actually, ironically enough, no, I do not dress up I for usu- Halloween. I usually don't get to either. Uh, sometimes if I go to like somebody's having a costume party at their house, I'll just throw on like a cheaper, like an older version of a Jedi app or something like that. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, for the most part, no. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we kind of get it out of our systems all year. Round. Yeah, I mean, pretty much we dress up all year round, so Halloween loses that uh, specialness, I guess, to put a costume on. Yeah. Uh, although it's still better than the, yeah, I'm sure you remember the kid, those, those non-flame-retardant vinyl with the, the plastic mask, mask. With the string on it that yeah. you know, made you sweat like a million I, Yeah, you couldn't see. Yeah. It could, and that was always like the safety instructions was you shouldn't wear a mask because you need to be able to see. It's, but every outfit came with a mask. Of course. Yeah. And now you get to wear helmets and stuff. Where you, I can't. I, can you even see out of most? Of uh, it depends on the helmet. Uh, my Tie Fighter pilot, I can see about just below the bridge of my nose. So if there's a small kid in front of me, unless he starts tapping my leg or something like that, I really can't see him. But straight ahead, I can see. It's uh, not like a Tuscan Raider where you basically have like two little peepholes. Like uh, uh, imagine you're trying to look through your door. Right. Uh, one time I wore a dark, uh, dark Vader because we were in Star Wars in costume and normal Vader couldn't make it. And I remember uh, the minute I put that on, it was just like great sucking sound because all the air got sucked out of there and the lenses fogged up. And now I'm walking into the middle of a, I still call it Brendan Burn Arena, whatever they call it, the IZOD Center now. And my and my lenses were all fogged up and I'm trying it. I'm sweating because it feels like it's about a million degrees inside the suit in the arena. Yeah, that, that, that was pleasant. <laughs> now, did you, um, I remember one of our events, um, we had one of the red guards in the Royal Guard. The yes. Royal Guard. Yep. Was that you? No, that's Chris. He's another member of ours from okay. South Jersey. Okay. Okay. Well, this is why because I ran into him somewhere else. Okay. And he's like, "Oh, you don't recognize me?" Well, no, of course I don't. <laughs> you don't have your helmet on. <laughs> There's no helmet on, and it was one of those helmets where it's not even like like some of the superhero helmets are more like helms, you know, yeah, Viking yeah, yeah. style, like where the type of where thing. The, yeah, where the face is exposed or something. But anything from Star Wars, forget it. You're just like, no, you cannot see your face. No, unless you're an Imperial officer on the Imperial side, yeah. you, you cannot see. Uh, you're covered. Your head's covered, pretty much. Right. If you're a rebel, it's a little more, because like, I have a rebel fleet trooper, and that's the famous salable helmet. So, I mean, it's just basically a helmet on top of your head, kind of like a, the superheroes, and that you can obviously you fully see. See so, it and breathe a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the cool things about your troop here that's uh, in the northeast is that you have uh, a person tiny enough to be a Jawa 
who actually looks Jawa-sized. Oh, it's, yeah. Michelle. Okay. Michelle, yeah, Michelle is, she's one of the sweetest people ever, yeah, and absolutely. she is so freaking cute in her Jawa outfit. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's definitely Jawa-sized. And then if you go to New York, there's one guy called King Jawa, and he's like six foot three or something like that. So <laughs> it would be pretty cool to see them next to one another, just that would contrasting be. style. He should be Chewbacca. What is he thinking? Uh, well, he's a little short for Chewbacca, but I guess with stilts. <laughs> <laughs> um... Do you guys change up your outfits like every year? Do you just try to kind of master one character? Um, well, it depends. Some people have costume acquisition disorder. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a bona fide thing in the yeah. DSM-5? Uh, I just made that up, I think. <laughs> but uh, T- Terry's got, every time I talk, turn around, he's got a new costume. Um, James seems to have quite a collection. Uh, me, I've been pretty steady since I've been So you just try and maintain it. I, I guess it depends when the bug hits you. Now some of our guys have branched out into like a custom Mando group and stuff like that. So because when I look at the Star Wars outfits, they they seem like there are so many different pieces to them. They seem like really expensive to put together. Yeah, it's not cheap. Obviously, you can't go to Walmart and right. buy a completed costume. Um, I mean, some are cheaper. Like if you just want to get in basic crewman, that'll probably run you a couple hundred bucks. But that's just a jumpsuit, a hat, a belt, and some gloves. Uh, basically, um, if you want to, like, Darth Vader and Boba Fett are pro- uh, the most expensive, and that's going to probably run you at least three grandish. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not cheap. Mm. And you don't know that just to just to look. You just think, oh, it's somebody who's Darth Vader. Yeah, and well, the, obviously our, our costumes are movie quality. But they're, yeah, so they're, it's, it's a... You can pick up a Rubies at Toys R Us and Right, it's, it's a different caliber when, yes. you, when you take the, a closer inspection of it. And that's um, one of the Boba Fett's many that I've run into over the years. I, I had a picture with him, and I was so excited. And later on, somebody had, like, commented on the picture saying, oh, that guy put in like this amount of money into that yep. outfit to try and get like every little transistor thing like mm-hmm. all uh, every bit of it so that there would be articulating parts uh, it's just the, the it's lights amazing. on the chest plate have to be in a certain sequence and it depends on the movie too so uh, of course. some of them are empire strikes back some of them are return of the jedi like darth vader in each uh, the original trilogy his his costume's different, so if you want to be a New Hope Vader, it's a like a two-tone paint scheme. Where by Return of the Jedi, he's nice and shiny, stuff like that. Or if in Revenge of the Sith, then that's another one. So actually, that's four Darth Vader versions. So depending on which, it's not even interchangeable. You'd ha- you'd have to like get a, like almost a whole new costume besides some basic parts to uh, do the different versions. Do you have a favorite a favorite of the actual movies? Uh, well, always the original. It was Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah, it was Star Wars on the marquee. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was called. Uh, that's what my now it's a new said. hope for all the new, new yeah, kids. Yeah, I don't get that. Well, I guess they had to differentiate somehow. So I oh, know. And it do, and it it's one of those things where I I really never noticed that it said like episode four. Yeah, well, you know, like it didn't as, ever it watch came it. After, it came after the fact, I guess, as as the obviously exploded back in '77, and then to start coming out with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, it needed to differentiate. I mean, Lucas always said that he has like six episodes mm-hmm. built in, but uh, I guess that they, they didn't know. I guess they didn't need it when they thought the movie was going to make four dollars, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so, you have the um, geek dilemma of liking both Star Trek and Star Wars. I don't really see it as a dilemma. 
So you don't, you don't get um, quizzed on which one you need to like more or why one's better than no, the other? No. Because I, I see that quiz a lot. No, thankfully most of my uh, friends are uh, pretty accepting. I've gotten some strange looks, especially when I showed up to the uh, one uh, Wonder Woman Day in my Star Trek outfit. Right. And I was supposed to receive a, uh, a medal for the 501st that day. <laughs> so here I am getting a picture taken with James receiving my, uh, I think it was my 25th troop or whatever yeah. it was, medal. And I'm in a Star Trek outfit. <laughs> so Admiral Thrawn was not pleased. And, and quite a couple of the pictures we took on the steps, uh, he was giving me a scowl. I see. Um, yeah, I don't know. It would be a crossover event. Star Trek seems to cross over with a lot. Yeah, I mean, you figure now these days, between Battlestar Galactica, uh, Star Wars, and Star Trek, you know, even Doctor Who for that matter, I mean, you have a whole huge crossover. It seems that at this point in Geekdom, uh, or Nerdum, or Dumb, or whatever you want to call it, everybody dabbles in, uh, in something else besides. It's not like, oh, I'm just in the 501st, or I'm just part of the, uh, the fleet for Battlestar Galactica, or whatever, or in the 7 Kino 1st for Star Trek. Most people branch out to different things. Yeah, I've, I, I, I'm so limited in any of the, sh the shows that I've, like, I've never watched Battlestar, I've never watched Stargate. Okay. Um, I watched the original Battlestar, I loved it as a kid. I, never I remember really it being on, on, but I yeah. don't remember a thing about it, okay. except for, like, the beautiful sandy hair of the main character. Like, he had that beautiful feathered hair. Oh, uh, uh, Richard uh, Hatch? <laughs> or, uh, Kurt Benedict? I don't know. I don't know. It was. It's the. I think it was the character that they. They. Uh, um, why am I blanking now? They turned it into it a was girl. A oh, that's uh, Starbuck. Starbuck. Yeah. yeah. So I think. It, yeah. That's not Richard Hatch. That's the uh, Kurt Benedict uh, character. Okay. And what I didn't realize was how it seemed there was a lot more episodes when I was a kid, and I forget the exact number, but it was only on basically for one season. So it was maybe like. 24 episodes of it. I think our brains are a little bit different the way we watch TV now because I'm a, I'm a Netflix watcher too so I will just marathon the hell out of anything for like a couple of days and absorb as much as I can and then I end up repeating that you know like oh I'm just going to stay in bed today and then not move. Yeah thank you. Uh, you remind me I really need to catch up on The Walking Dead. <laughs> I, I pretty much I can't look at Facebook half the time because I'm so far behind. <laughs> so do you, do you have a um, favorite uh, Star Trek pilot, Captain, Captain, Captain Kirk, of course. Is it Kirk? Yeah, okay, it's got to be Kirk. All right, because I, I mean, you know, I mean, Picard's cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was gonna say Picard's cool, but I'm not sure if it's Picard that's cool or if it's that Patrick Stewart is so cool. It could be a combo of both that Patrick Stewart just makes because he, he pretty much does make everything cool. Yeah. And so uh, the British accent, you know, it gives a level of sophistication to whatever character he. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, um, if you okay, next time I see you in your in your Star Trek, then I, I want to see some Captain Kirk rolls. Okay. You know, I want to see some dive rolls going on. Well, I do practice martial arts, so it so, shouldn't be so that far off. I want to do this, and it, and I want I want it can, on can, camera. Can we get a guy dressed up in a Gorn suit? With that probably with that in cheesy our music in, the in our network of friends, uh, we can probably have yeah, this. <laughs> at least a <the> helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, they're, they're usually at the big, like, New York shows and, or yep. something like that, but, uh, I, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see how we can wrangle some, some good special people. We have to wrangle people. up a Gorn. Yeah. It might be possible. Okay, well, Joe, I'll let you get back to your gaming and stuff. I don't know. It looks like people are maybe filtering back in. Yeah, surely. Slowly. We should be starting up again. Um, 
And so, do, do you have like the the Twitters and anything where people can find you? Or no, I'm pretty nope. much not a Twitter guy. So you're uh, off grid. You're yeah. a gamer that's off the grid. Yeah, pretty much. Because well, you're keep a low profile. You're a paper and pen gamer, so yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I follow Twitter every once in a while, but I probably follow like three things. <laughs> okay. So. And of course, I'm sure I'm one of them. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> but you can always find me on the 501st boards, the fi- uh, fi- 501st yes. NER. That's uh, the local New Jersey garrison. Uh, where you can, if you want to come see us at what events we're going to be at, you can check out our website. And uh, there's a calendar posted over there. You can see where we're going. Including, uh, including, yeah, exactly. So um, our whole... But everybody two, already knows about Wonder Woman. Our, we hope so. We, you know, we get asked about it, which is good. Because awesome. it was hard to, to get to that point. So I'm um, definitely looking forward to October. Uh, have you, and you've seen the new store, right? Yes, so, I was at the new store last year. Right. Okay. Cool. All right, Joe. Thanks so much. No problem, Amber. Okay, and now I've, I've wandered down the hallway a little bit of ways and found somebody who looks like he's in charge. So, um, Dave, can you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Dave Guerrero. I'm the lead admin for Greyhawk Reborn. Okay. So, I didn't realize that there was a difference between Greyhawk Reborn and Edition 5? Is it the same? We're using the 5th edition rules. Okay. Uh, The playtest rules right now will be adapting to the new rules as they come out. And Greyhawk is just the world we're adventuring in. And what is it then? Greyhawk? Yes. Uh, Greyhawk is the first mass-produced fantasy campaign that was created by uh, TSR back in the day. Gary uh, Gary Gygax, Dave Arnson. Um, Most... A lot of folks remember it fondly going back, oh, what, 35 years? All the original 40 years? Were all Greyhawk. Yeah. All the they great were. Classics. First and second edition of the game Two were. Cars, all them, all Greyhawk. Yep. Okay, so when you change editions, what kind of information carries over? Uh, the classes, the, the general rules cha- are, are there, the, the same classes. You still have fighters, mages, wizards, clerics. You still have the same weapons, you have long swords, you have the armors, you have the same magic items and such. The math behind the game is changing uh, to a great extent. Uh, and, and then sometimes also the mechanics of the game begins changing in terms of role play versus the statistics, the numbers, the dice rolling. So did they invent, like, a new die for it? No, no new die. Just, uh... Like a big, giant 50-sided. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> really, to be honest with you, what 5e has done, in my opinion, is take the best versions, uh, the best things from the other versions of D&D, and have uh, kind of smushed it together. I was a little concerned when it first came out that it was going to work well, but it seems to have done well. They play-tested it extensively. They've had over... It's uh, been a free play-test for almost two years now. They've had over 100,000 playtesters downloaded stuff. Why would it take two years to playtest? To make it right. Okay. To make it right. The fourth edition of the game was not very well received. It was a great, uh, great difference from the previous versions. uh, From the previous version. Um, And a lot of folks just did not follow it through. There's a lot of complex reasons for that. But same thing happened at three. Some, Some folks get a little hesitant to move into new editions. When did you start playing? Uh, summer of 1980. Okay. And so was that like a high school thing that you started meeting up yeah, with, with just folks? college. Just out college? Of, okay. Yeah, after freshman year of college, one of the guys that started playing at college I hung around with, and he came back one day, and we got a couple of books, and next thing you know, we're wandering around, and we found a few more guys and started playing there. And 
just have continued since then in one form or another. Okay, so I imagine since you're sitting back here behind the fancy looking table with all the equipment and stuff, um, you have the expertise. So are you normally a dungeon master or do you just like hang out and chill? Both. And I DM and I play. Um, pulled together our Greyhawk Reborn campaign, basically. It's a it's a living style campaign. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, what is that? It's a shared world campaign. Uh, most okay. of the time what happens is people take their take their dungeons that they either create or the adventures that they buy and such and they'll run it for their friends in their basement at their dining room table and things like that, college game. Um, wizards have come up with a concept of, of a shared world campaign. So it's, it was kind of taking that home game, which is what that was called, into a something where you could go different places and play that. Um, and you could bring your character along and play with other folks who have similar characters, so it becomes a shared world. Um, in 1999, when third edition came out, they came out with the Greyhawk, uh, Living Greyhawk campaign that ended up with over 20,000 players across the world playing. Okay, because it sounds, so it's basically like a, a pencil and paper version of what's done online. It is similar. Of what's similar. done in game, like on, yes. online video games. You're just... MMOs, just exactly. without the O. It, yes. You're just, uh, <laughs> you're not limited to... The, uh, the code, if you will. You're limited to what the people who are your creative teams are doing, the people who are creating adventures and creating those worlds to, uh, for the others to adventure in. Okay, so how do you share a world with different dungeon masters, then? Because I would think that every once in a while people aren't as picky with a particular rule or something. Um, in Greyhawk Reborn, we're, uh, we have a team that works together and we've created some... Uh, so a basic framework of campaign, a basic administration, if you will, um, so that we are all coming from the same uh, the same uh, philosophy in terms of backgrounds, in terms of magic items, in terms of power, in terms of role-playing, just in, in the mechanics of the game. So we've created a framework from within that that, that we function in, and our characters, are, our players that come and play their characters within the, that framework. So are there classes to learn to be the game master? No. I would think that there would be something like at conventions where you get like training into, no, into what these are the rules and, and uh, it would be a good thing to have that. Yes, there are uh, there are some uh, there's plenty of blogs out there and, and places where you get some advice. Oftentimes, at some of the bigger cons or even some of the smaller ones, they will set up some seminars to help some folks. But most of the time, it's uh, first you know it's it's trial by fire. Um, to a great extent, a lot of it is also uh, oftentimes when they're releasing a new edition of the game, and I don't have the starter set handy here, but uh, oftentimes they'll have the uh, DM's guidelines, how to play, how to DM type of thing there. Just a very brief synopsis. Some advice. Do you um, only run for like adult level ages, or no, do you we'll run, run you forever? Run we, can, we can skew how we're can, doing our role playing based on who's sitting around the table. Okay. We, we can certainly be family friendly when we need to. Okay. Um, because I didn't know if they had sort of like a, any kind of tournament brackets, like for no. ages or anything. No. Okay. And um, now, 
one of the things that I, that I notice is when you're sitting around the table and you're running these campaigns, uh, there's automatically the feeling of being social, whereas being social. Yes. Whereas in the video games, you're not seeing your other people, but you might have your headsets, you know, on, and it's still social, but it's in a completely different environment. You're still kind of isolated and kind mm -hmm. of alone. So, um, what feelings do you get just for you when you're when you're around the table and you play? Well, that's a good question. I, I enjoy the interaction with other people. Um, I'm a people person. I'm a school teacher in life. I've worked some other part-time jobs. They've all been in retail that have been out there dealing with the public. So just the interacting with other folks is, is very enjoyable with me. Um, playing in the living style campaigns, playing in D&D &D in general, is, uh, is kind of learning how to problem solve, learning how to work through obstacles, overcome obstacles, learning how to work together as a group to uh, make the uh, the sum of the group greater than, greater than the sum of the parts type of thing. Uh, just working together, it's, it's very enjoyable and overcoming obstacles. And, you know, at the end of the day, after uh, several sessions, you're leveling, your character's getting more powerful, he's getting stronger, he or she's getting more hit points, is, you know, finds a better magic item, finds better magic armor. So you're getting some... Uh, some uh, data points there, if you will, that, that also helps. It seems like it would be really a way to teach kids, or really, I mean, it doesn't have to be kids, but I guess anybody of any age, because it's kind of just a life skill, um, without it seeming like teaching, in order to, uh, you know, like people, like you said, get through obstacles. These Very are things that so. we, see, you know, we have to deal with every day, and if you could just, you know, have your alias is okay what would my magical person do what would you know it, uh, it's you know ultimately it's a role playing game yeah. now there's a lot of ways you can take that role playing but ultimately going back 40 years to when D&D &D came out it was assuming the personality of, of another fantasy character you're creating it up you have instead of it being an actor and it just being lines you have you have some abilities, you have some skills, you have some magic items. So you're playing to the character on paper, but ultimately they have some personality. They, uh, you know, you, you devise your background and what you want them to be, whether it's a, uh, a a loyal, faithful, heroic paladin, or it's the sneaky thief that's always trying to get in somebody's pockets. But whatever, that's the persona that you're, pers you know, that you're assuming when you're playing. So it does give people some opportunities to live in some other worlds that they normally would and try some other things. Do you find that when you're developing a character, you take the traits that you feel you already are strong with, or do you purposely go to the opposite side? Like, are you a chaotic evil? Uh, chaotic evils tend to not work together. It is a, it is a shared experience game. It is a home game. Five or six people sitting down at the table. Um, you have to work together to overcome the problems. And if you've got that chaotic evil thief there, um, it might turn out well for him because he stabs everybody while they're sleeping. And walks away with everything, but it's not going to be part of that team effort of the game, and I think the game really fosters that. It's but I, I kind of play, uh, honestly, it varies. It, I enjoy playing most of the character classes. Right now I have a, uh, a monk I'm playing, uh, enjoying the, the absolute crap out of him. He's turning into almost a uh, wrestler. 
a monk that would be he's a wrestler he's a luchador he wears a mask <laughs> wears a mask he has uh, black black mask black tights black boots black cape no shirt and wow, that's okay. that's that's him okay. and other times you know it's that that stand up paladin it, it all kind of depends what you're in the mood for playing well with um, all the D&D stuff that's typically the sword and sorcery fantasy world so do you have any kind of favorite other entertainment that lives in that world are you do you know do you go through books and movies or, uh, or anything read read most of the books early on uh, you know Tolkien uh, Zalanzi uh, which is Castle Amber series uh, the Elric series from Michael Moorcock um, David Eddings uh, Oh, the list goes on and on. Uh, so I read a lot of those earlier, Jack Vance. Uh, and then, the, you know, the movies. The movies are very uh, influential, um, even going back to things like uh, Highlander. Uh, the original. That's one of the best. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> even, even going back in things like the original Camelot. Um, what was there? was a uh, King Arthur one with Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. I don't know if you're... Was it Hepburn? But they showed them in their later years. Um, it was I very, very. Don't good remember movie. that. The only thing I can think of was Excalibur. Yeah, oh, Excalibur is uh, another one. Yeah. Oh, um, what's Nigel Terry. Yeah, Nigel. Uh, yep, and Nicole Williamson. I, I was thinking of um, the Morgana. Oh, uh, Helen Mirren. Yes. One of her earlier Mirren. roles. Oh, and Patrick God. Stewart and Liam Neeson were in that too. Like every, I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where it might not be the greatest movie ever, but you have to watch oh, it. Oh, it's a great movie. It's, it's just yeah. everybody that is in that movie is unbelievable. Uh, High, Highlander and, and uh, Excalibur, absolutely. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you pull inspiration from there and you pull inspiration from. Uh, I, I don't remember the the original name of it, but uh, the the Arthur uh, wrote him. He, there was the big uh, King Arthur one. There, um, the, there was the Morte de Arthur. Yeah, was the book. Yeah, so, right? that's the one so, I'm thinking of. Um, and I thought that the um, I think Terry White did some too, didn't he? Somebody had come up with with something that was pretty popular. I know that they sort of like they did more research and came out with like a more accurate version of what the people likely were. And I kind of dug that. It was the like Clive Owen and mm -hmm. Kira Knightley, I think. Yeah, yeah. I thought that I was surprised was at, at that I liked it. Yeah. Because it just was so very different. Yep. But yeah, you pull inspiration from you know, whatever inspires you and everybody Everybody does different things. Uh, right now, for some of the stuff that's floating around in my head, I'm pulling inspiration from uh, actually Dune. Okay, well, that's One classic. of my characters is uh, kind of uh, has certain attributes of all Atreides. So I noticed that you're not in like cloaks and you know there's nah. no candles and sigils around nah. the table. It's Never pretty chill here. Yeah, never been one of those. Okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm not dressing up, running in sewers. I'm not Tom Hanks from that horrible '80s movie, Monster Bases and Monsters. Um, I just. I, it's. I think a lot of people might get the wrong idea of what gaming is. And it's not to say that those are bad things. No, Hell, throw your cloak on and go and have fun. My philosophy is, and this is a gaming philosophy. There have been lots of edition wars in D and D between five and four, e three and seven. Play the game you want with the people you you enjoy playing with. It's it's all about. I don't care what edition of the game you play. I don't care what game you play. I don't care what you're doing. It's about enjoying what you're doing. It's enjoying the people you're hanging out with. You know, it becomes a social aspect. I golf. I'm, I'm an avid golfer, and it's the same thing there. There are people I don't want to golf with. There's no fun to golf with. There's other people I enjoy it. It's a social game. 
go out and enjoy interacting with people, have some fun, let other people have fun. Those who like dressing up and doing those things, go. Great. Have a great time. Enjoy what you're doing. You know, life's too short not to enjoy it. Do you have family members that you normally game with, or do you, like, sort of escape and this is, like, your thing on your own? Um, it's different. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have family members. My grandson plays for a little bit, but, uh, you know, he kind of grew out of it. My wife never took a, took a liking to it or anything. And I have some, some long-time friends, some, uh, a couple of folks that I started playing with way back in the summer of 80 and still playing with, they, uh, and then just picked up a lot of new folks. So. How often do you meet? Because I know some people are like kind of kind of have like a regular schedule. Yeah, we're for together gaming. about once a week now. Again, okay. we're doing a lot of the organizing administration for our Greyhawk Reborn campaign, okay. so we're not playing as much as we'd like to because we're doing the groundwork so other folks can come to places like this and enjoy playing the game. Okay, and so where can people get more information? Uh, on Greyhawk Reborn, we have a uh, Facebook page, okay. we have a Facebook group, and we also have a Yahoo group. Um, we're hoping in the next year to have our own website and be building that, but again, it just takes time. So okay. we're playing, uh, we're running our games everywhere from old Nova, Baltimore, uh, well, not Baltimore, but uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. area. Uh, most of us are located in central Pennsylvania and near the Gettysburg area, so we're doing a lot of play there. Uh, we're up at Mepicon. Uh, we're here and hope to be here for future years and are even looking into getting up into Connecticut and some other places. So, Okay, so does this um, version of it, is, is it going to have a lifespan? or don't know. It's so new. It's just really the first rules came out actually today. The starter sets were released today okay. for 5th edition. Okay, so and that's the rules of D&D, &D, and then there's what we're doing with the campaign. So you world. never know when something's going to change. It'll be around for a while. Yeah, they, I mean, they seem, yes. to, they seem to last for quite a while. Yeah. And because, I mean, the amount of work yes. that goes into it. Is yeah, if they changed it regularly, they, they wouldn't have a whole lot of people buying it. Right. And that's something that's really different than, like, the video game releases yes. where video games they just you know you get a, a patch installed or you know maybe there's an addition in you know every few years i mean i mean warcraft is totally different than the games that i played so those were just patches that yeah but um improved game i never I, I never stood in line for like you know six hours waiting for an expansion pack exactly um so that's good and you said that the other shared information is wizards of the coast Yes, the, uh, the new rules just came up on, was part of the rules, they're uh, releasing them for free, some of them. So anybody who wants to learn how to play, you can go to uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast, or I guess it's DungeonsandDragons.com, and download the starter set there, and they can pick up what they need to and start playing right there. Okay. Uh, this starter set box set that came out today is available probably at your local friendly game yeah. store, and you know, 20 or 30 bucks will get you some of the rules and an adventure you can be playing in 20 minutes. Pre-gens are already in it, some dice, everything you need to go. Well, that's cool, Dave. Thanks for venturing out to New Jersey. Oh, happy, happy to be here. <laughs> all right, thanks. I hope you enjoyed all of the Dexcon coverage that you found here at AmberUnmasked.com. And uh, just to remind you that I will be making an appearance at the Boston Comic-Con for the first time. That's uh, August uh, 8th and 9th weekend. Um, I think 9th is a Saturday. And uh, I will be on the LGBT panel at 1 o'clock. 
Um, so come out for that, and I'm not sure if I, I will have any other scheduling opportunities, but that's the one that's definitely on the books. So um, it'll be my first time at Boston Comic Con. I hope it's um, a wonderful, exciting time, because um, I'm pretty nervous about going up there. So uh, definitely look for me then, and um, remember that your feedback is always appreciated. You can give us... Uh, ratings on iTunes and Stitcher and stuff like that and you know and just drop by Twitter you can find me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter so um, you know say how much you like the show <laughs>